Today, we are in the next part of our Kingdom of Light series, and I want us to start by thinking about uh, this. When was the last time that someone showed you an unexpected and incredible uh, level of kindness or love? Uh, Laura and I love to explore. We love to travel, and over our 12 years of marriage, we've been to the far-flung corners of the world. But if I'm really honest and full disclosure, when we go away, there's often quite high levels of drama and mishap. And it usually comes down to two things. One is, because I don't really like to spend any money whenever I go anywhere. I want to do things as cheaply as possible, but also because I don't really want to be early to anything. And so there's always this kind of like last-minute stress. And sure enough, a couple of years ago, Laura and I had an opportunity to spend some of our summer uh, serving a church in downtown Vancouver. Just an amazing experience as we did that. But we had a day off, and so with William and Chloe, we thought, why don't we uh, take a trip? Why don't we drive down across the Canadian border into the United States? Specifically, we wanted to go to Seattle and to Everett. And if you've never been to Everett, Everett is where Boeing make all their planes, and William and I were super excited about doing that. So we borrowed a car, and we set off 30 miles down to the border, and everything was going okay, except that I knew that the car we had was a little bit low on gas, but my range was enough, and Google said it was only like 20 minutes across the border, and I thought, I can do this. This will be totally fine. Gas is much cheaper in America than it is in Canada, so I'm not filling up north of the border. But as we got down to the border crossing, there was this big, great sign across the road, border crossing, one hour, 15 minutes delay. But because I'm kind of like just about in the millennial space, obviously I took the word of Google over the word of the sign and carried on regardless. Three lanes of highway traffic heading down towards the border. But as we got into that kind of no man's land space between Canada and the United States, everything just completely stopped. And I realized, oh no, there's another problem. It's not just that the car is low on gas, but it's also that the battery on the car is extremely sketchy, which means that if I leave the car running for the next hour and 15 minutes, I'll probably run out of gas. But if I turn the car off, which is probably a better idea for the environment anyway, maybe it won't start up again. So for like 10 minutes, I sat there in the outside of three lanes of traffic, and I thought, well, I'm just going to have to brave this out. And then I thought, no, I cannot leave my car idling for an hour and then just run out of gas. I've got to turn it off. So I turned it off, waited two minutes until the traffic started moving, and then guess what happened? Nothing. William and Chloe, back of the car, Laura in the front, like silent but clearly quite angry, and nothing was happening. So after this little gap in the traffic, Laura got out and was very gracious and kind, and, and we pushed the car across three lanes of highway traffic to this little kind of service area, and I started running madly around this area trying to find somebody to help me, looking like a really lost English person. I'm like, I'm really sorry, but I'm, I'm lost. Can you help me? And I found this duty-free uh, area. You know, like you get at airports where they sell perfume and makeup, and all of those kind of things. Clearly, I don't go there very often. But um, when I, I went in, and I've, I've noticed there's a kind of similar trait in all of those stores wherever you go in the world, and that is that the people who are in those stores have a particular sales technique, and their sales technique is to wear every single product that the store sells all at once by way of marketing it. So I could see this lady who is this lovely little Irish lady under about 55 layers of makeup in these huge great heels. I'd say to her, like, I'm so sorry, but is there any way that you could help us? Do you have any jump leads so we can get our car started? 
And I was kind of expecting her to go, no, I'm far too busy, I can't help you. But not only did she start to like go around the store asking all the staff, she then went around the store asking all the customers. And after five minutes, she came back with a car, with a set of jump leads. And I was like, wow, that's incredible. And not only that, she then, with all her high heels and her makeup on, she started getting under the, the, the hood of my car and the hood of her car with these jump leads and got the car started. Now, that wasn't kind of the end of the story because um, by that point, we'd left Laura's phone in the restrooms and also we still had no fuel in the car and so William prayed this amazing prayer Lord Jesus please could we have enough gas in the car and if we don't please can you put some in and we made it across the border that day but it's amazing isn't it when someone shows you a level of love that you just don't expect and that's what we're going to think about this morning the shape of love in the kingdom of light and so we're going to jump straight in and have our reading um, which comes from one of our community this morning. Hi everyone, I'll be reading from Luke 5, 17 to 26. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Thank you so much, Jessica, for reading that. Last week, we talked about what it means to be participants, players on the stage, on the field in the kingdom of God. And today, we're going to take one step beyond that and think about the very primary way that we're invited to play our part in the kingdom of God. And the bad news is, if you want really long Greek words and you want to be impressed by my um, exegesis of certain Greek words, then you're, you're probably not going to uh, enjoy um, the, this. But these are three of the most simple and direct and hopefully helpful points that I can offer as we start and look at this wonderful, part, wonderful story of Jesus about how we play our part. And the three points that I want to think about today are this. Number one, everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus in the kingdom of God. Number two, loving Jesus means loving our friends. And thirdly, loving our friends means bringing them to Jesus. And as we go through, I'd really love you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you as I talk. And I want to ask you just to, to open up your life, to think about the people who you live with, the people who you work with, the people who are on your street, your colleagues. And as I speak about these different areas, I'd love you to ask the Holy Spirit, God, who are you speaking to me about today? What would you have me do as I am a participant in your kingdom? So let's go straight into it. Number one, 
Everybody needs Jesus. In this story today, we find Jesus in a crowded house. He's been traveling throughout the area of Galilee. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons. And people are starting to get a bit of an understanding of the power that Jesus holds. And so as they, are, as they go to this house, Jesus might have been a friend's house. It might have been a family member's house. Uh, everybody starts to crowd in on Jesus. Like I have this picture of like the boy on his chopper, boy next door on his chopper bike, like coming in and looking through the window. Maybe there's friends there. There would have been family members there, teachers of the Lord, disciples, like just local residents who are really excited and intrigued about who Jesus is. And as Jesus is maybe even just come for a rest, suddenly he finds himself in this one or two room house surrounded by people. And so he starts to speak. He starts to teach about the kingdom of God. But as he starts to teach, a hole in the roof appears above his head. I'm kind of imagining what that would be like if a hole above my head starts to appear. And this person comes lower down on a mat laid right in front of him. Now, if somebody did that now, I have to admit, I might just be a little bit annoyed that they were getting in the way of me preaching. But Jesus is so gracious, he's so kind, and he so understands the moment that the Holy Spirit has provided. And so Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach of the kingdom, to see salvation, to speak about healing. But I want to get you thinking for a moment, and I want you to think, particularly if you're with another person now, or if you're not, to the cat or to the wall or whoever, whoever or whatever you're near. What's the difference? What's the difference between the paralyzed man who is lying in front of Jesus on a mat and everybody else in the room who Jesus is speaking to in that moment? Just take a moment. Okay, if that's a hard question, it's supposed to be. Maybe the main and the only real difference in the situation is that everybody in the room knows that the man who's paralyzed needs Jesus's intervention in their life. The man would have been an outcast in society. He would have not been able to work. He wouldn't have been able to feed himself. He would have been totally dependent on everybody else in the community to keep him alive. Everybody knows that the man needs Jesus. But if you look, when you get to the miracle, which happens in verse 20, when Jesus comes to heal the man, do you notice what he says? Jesus says this, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now that is primarily a spiritual moment, moment of reconciliation between God and the man. That beyond any physical needs, beyond any emotional needs, beyond any other needs that the man has, his primary need is to have his uh, relationship between the creator of the creator of the universe and himself restored. That he needs to move from the kingdom of darkness and brokenness and sin into the kingdom of light, and that comes through his sins, his eternal sins, not his like specific like sins because he's done something wrong to be paralyzed, but in the fact that he is just part of that eternal story, the the creation story of fallenness, he needs his sins forgiving. And that is what Jesus comes to do. And you know what? Who in the room needs their sins forgiving? Everybody in the room needs their sins forgiving. The kingdom of God is a kingdom for all because primarily it is a kingdom about reconciliation between the creator of the universe and us as broken and sometimes hurting and fallen people. I was reminded when we did that Vancouver trip because as we got over the border, we found ourselves on the 5 freeway, which comes down here to LA. And we were like a mile into uh, 
into uh, Washington State, and there was one of those massive, great, like, revolving uh, signs by the side of the freeway. And as we were driving down, the first thing I saw it said was like, get Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I was like, wow, fantastic. What a great message to be, to have by the side of the freeway. But then before uh, I'd driven past it, it changed again. And it changed to get alcohol at the next uh, stop. There's a great discount off license. And then before, even then before I'd passed it, it had changed one more time. It was like, get marijuana at the next exit because that's what you need. And the sign just kept revolving. And every time it revolved, it was trying to sell another thing that you need to have a good life. Jesus says this, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'm not a light, I'm not a nice idea. I am the very difference between darkness and light. And the way that you enter into the kingdom of God is through forgiveness, it's through reconciliation, it's through the free gift of accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, realizing that we don't have anything to add to the mix, that we're all broken, that we're all fallen, and that we all need Jesus. Jesus says, come, all you who are thirsty, weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so when we think of our friends, we think of those that we live with, think with those that, who are really hurting, who we know need Jesus, but also those around us who seem super confident, who seem like they've already got all the answers, maybe you know, your angry atheist friend or whoever it might be, like they all, we all, every day need Jesus. The kingdom of God is a kingdom for all. The second thing is loving Jesus means loving our friends. One day, a whole bunch of religious leaders, like the ones in today's story, go and see Jesus. And they want to ask him a question. They say, hey, Jesus, what's the most important commandment of all in the law? Really, what they're asking is, what's the most important thing about the most important thing, which is the law in the whole world? And Jesus says this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. So that moment that we looked at last week, that moment of worship, of praise, of adoration, of submission to God, of like praying and worshiping. But then he also says, and love your neighbor as you love yourself, which is the outward motion when we used the mirror last week, pointing outwards into the places of darkness. What I'm so struck about this passage is the quality of love that the two friends show for the paralyzed man. They know his needs. They've probably been literally keeping him alive. They love the man. I have an uncle, um, I have a few uncles in fact. I have one particular uncle who is one of the leading voices in medical ethics uh, in the United Kingdom. He's literally written some of the textbooks that doctors and others study. And his background is that he is a neonatologist, which is to look at, he looks after tiny, tiny little babies, like 20 week old premature babies. And I remember going as a kid into this area that looked like a kind of alien kind of laboratory. And you go in, in University College London, there's all these pods and these really bright lights. And inside each pod is this tiny little baby, no bigger than the palm of your hands, battling for its life. And one thing um, John Wyatt says, is he says, what's always struck him about human life it's the fact that God has made us to be quite fragile physically and emotionally as human beings. Like God could have made human beings to be like massive, super strong, huge cockroaches or ants. Don't think about that for too long. It's like a bad film, isn't it? Like God could have made us physically resilient, able to deal with nuclear warfare and COVID or whatever it might be. But actually there's something about the human story, especially if you ever see a baby 
that's actually quite fragile. And we spend our lives as humans trying to get rid of the fragility. We want to be independent, we want to be strong. Like when we're, when we're kids and we're growing up, we're like, I just want to be independent and I'm going to go off and make my own choices and do my own thing. When we're adults, we spend a lot of our life trying to be financially independent so we can choose to do what we want to do. And then when we get elderly, the last thing we want to do is to be a burden to anybody else. So we work really hard on our kind of retirement plans. But yeah, John Wyatt says this, could it just be that God has made us to be dependent people? Dependent on God, because sooner or later we have to realize that the gift of life comes from God every single day that we have breath. But also that God has made us dependent on each other. That far from it being a bad thing for us to be a burden to each other, maybe God has actually made us to be a burden. I am a burden to you, and you're a burden to me. There is, as he says, a mutual burdensomeness. That's a bit of a crazy long word. But we are designed to be dependent on each other. That's how God has made us to be. You know, the questions of love in this world are so complicated. You know, I'm praying for our president. I'm praying for our governor. I'm praying for our mayor so much because they're facing questions of how do you be loving right now? Do you be loving by shutting the economy down? Do you be loving by opening up the economy, allowing people to work? Do you be loving by um, putting face masks on? Do we be lo- loving by letting people carry on and do normal life? How do we be loving? And let's be honest, those are super complicated and difficult questions and our leaders need a lot of prayer in these kind of moments. But the world wants to know how to love. How do we love? And 1 Corinthians 13, which is just such a beautiful passage we uh, read, gives the shape of love in the kingdom. And if you've had a bad week, have a lot of grace with yourself as I read this out to you. 1 Corinthians 13 verse four says this, love is patient, love is kind, It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. You know, living in LA in 2020 is not easy. I've probably, I've got friends and you may have friends too who are literally leaving LA at the moment because if they've got kids or just really struggling to find work, they find like we just cannot live here anymore. And yet here we find this beautiful model of friendship and love. And one of the things I'm so grateful for about you guys, because you tell me all the time, and it's my experience too, is that Vintage Pasadena, actually we're pretty good. We're pretty good at loving each other. We're pretty good at being family. We're pretty good at caring for one another. But that is not just a nice thing. That is the very movement of the kingdom. But do you notice who it is who is the recipient of incredible love today? It is the person who is on the outside. It is the other. It is the broken. It is the lost. It is the hurting. If you're like me, you've probably got friends and family who you love spending time with. You know, they're just super cool, generous, gracious, easy people. Like you just love chilling out with them. If you've got a day off, that's the best thing you can do. And then you've probably got other people that you know, people who like don't, see the same world that you see, who don't agree with you on things, maybe have totally different views about politics or religion or whatever it is, people who are maybe a bit awkward, a bit embarrassing, people who support the wrong sports team, like whatever it it might be. But in the kingdom, there is always this motion to love the person who is struggling, to love the person who is hurting. 
And so I, I wonder for you, as we think about those people that we're praying for, the people that God is inviting us to love, like who's the person who's on the outside that God might be inviting you to love? Who's the person that other people don't love, who God might be inviting you to love in this time? Who is really struggling and needs to experience real love through you? And then finally, my third point is this, and that's to join together the first two points we have, and that's this. Loving our friends always ultimately means bringing them to Jesus. Loving our friends always means bringing them to Jesus. There is no greater act of love that we can ever show in the world than helping people find Jesus for themselves. Like these two friends who bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus go on an amazing adventure. Um, I don't know if you've ever tried to pick somebody up on a stretcher. Uh, it's actually extremely difficult to pick a fully grown man up on a stretcher. If you, if you don't believe me, uh, watch this little video. If you want to laugh a lot this, this afternoon, go and Google stretcher fails on YouTube. It's very, very funny. It's hard to pick somebody up on a stretcher. Now, we don't know where these men have come from. They might have traveled a very long distance. They've certainly come across, a tra uh, across the town, but they know that they've got to get their friend to Jesus. So they arrive at this house, and the house is completely full. There's no way to get the stretcher into the house. And so like, if that had been me, I think I'd be like, OK, right, I, I'm, I'm done. I think we'll go home and come back tomorrow. But these friends will not give up. Their perseverance to bring their friend to Jesus is incredible, so much so that they climb with him up the outside steps of the house onto the roof of the house, which was probably made of like matting. It would have been very sketchy. And they climb out across this roof, make a hole in somebody else's roof in order that they can then lower their friend down on ropes in front of Jesus. That is an incredible act of kindness and love to bring someone there. Now, we don't like, exactly know what they thought Jesus was, but who Jesus was, but do you notice what Jesus says again at the beginning of verse 20 when he's about to perform this amazing act of, of kindness and love and healing for the paralyzed man? He says, when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, that there is a moment where Jesus invites us to have faith for other people. Jesus asks us to enter into the story. And when Jesus saw the faith of these two people, he then dealed out healing and wholeness and salvation. That there is a part for us to play in bringing our friends to Jesus. Our faith, our perseverance, our prayerfulness, sometimes over a long period, plays a part in the eternal story of salvation for those that we know and love. I was listening to a very famous eternal, uh, uh, Australian, totally different, Australian speaker a while back at a conference. And he, when he was at college, was on like the big sports teams and he lived with a guy who was a non-Christian. And for three years, they had a great time and they hung out and they played sports together. But then after university, they kind of went off in their own directions. And the other friend became a Christian, totally separately, 
uh, whilst he was away, uh, whilst the two were apart. And many, many years later, the two came back together. And when they came back together, like to share what had happened in their lives, the guy who had recently become a Christian said this. He said, it's lovely to see you, but I just got to get something off my chest. It's like when we were at university for three years, we lived together. Like we played sports together, we hung out together, we shared everything together, but not once whilst I was at university did you do anything at all to tell me about Jesus. Like not once did you tell me that Jesus was real. Not once did you tell me that my sins could be forgiven. Not once could you t- did you tell me that the crippling guilt and shame and all the things that I was secretly living with could be dealt with once and for all. You never told me. And I thought we were friends. Like, isn't that so challenging? Isn't that so challenging? Loving our friends ultimately means bringing them into the kingdom of God. But that's a really hard thing. I mean, let's just be honest. Like, my friends don't phone me up all the time and say, hey, can you tell me about Jesus? I just would love to know. I wish that they they did. But it's a harder, longer game than that, often. And so it's really important that we understand that that is our role, but also that we have tools that can help us. And I want to finish by just telling you for a few moments about Alpha. Emmy Wilson, who spoke a couple of weeks ago, is a member of a big church in London called HTB. And uh, she and a whole uh, group of people in that church about 30 years ago now uh, came up with a course called Alpha uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Alpha is basically eight sessions, eight uh, bits of a course where people come for an evening, they talk about, they watch a video which is about something to do with the Christian faith, and then they're just invited to be in a small group with other people that they came with, with other people who've come along to the course. And when, when you do Alpha, there are basically very simple rules. No one can tell you what to think. We just invite people to come and share their experience. But what we find over eight weeks of Alpha invariably is that the Holy Spirit gets involved in people's lives. And that they take a bit of a journey as they explore life and questions of the universe and everything. It's often that they find in the middle of it the truth of Jesus. And through Alpha, thousands of people in vintage Santa Monica and across California have now done Alpha. In the UK, there are many, many millions of people who have done Alpha. And we've been desperate here at Vintage Pasadena to get our Alpha course up and running as soon as we were able. And we've not been able to because of COVID, because we really wanted to make it an event and have dinner and invite people into a safe place. Um, But Emmy said to me the other week, she said, hey, Ben, you should really think about doing Alpha online. And I was like, oh, no, I I don't want to do anything that involves Zoom because everybody's had enough of Zoom. And she said, well, we thought the same. Nobody wants to come and explore Jesus through the medium of Zoom. But now they've got 7,000 people in their one church exploring Jesus through Alpha Online. It's an amazing thing that the Holy Spirit has given the church. And so on the 22nd of September, uh, we're going to have Alpha Online launching at Pasadena. And there's going to be a moment where I'm going to ask you in early September, hey, who, who are you going to invite to come to Alpha Online? Who are you going to like, bring through the roof into Jesus' presence? Now, that might seem overwhelmingly scary. And that's why I want to mention it now, because your friends might be on the stretcher in a different town. They're not about to come through the roof to Jesus. And so I want to invite you as I close and just want to remind you this. The kingdom of God is for everyone. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of grace. It's a kingdom of mercy. It's a kingdom of light. It's a kingdom that takes people from a place of pain and suffering and it takes them into a place of hope and relationship 
with Jesus. It is a kingdom that changes everything and it is a kingdom that is for everyone. And you and I, primarily as we participate in the kingdom, have a role to play. And that is to invite others, to bring others, to pray for others, to persevere for others, to join us in that eternal kingdom. And so as I pray, I want to invite the Holy Spirit just to come and to remind us again, remind us of his love for us, remind us of the reality of the kingdom, but also to remind us, to speak to us about the people around us who he might be asking to show love and grace and kindness to you this week. So will you pray with me?